All right, welcome to class, everybody. This week, our final class of the year, if you can believe it, we're going to be talking about why Christmas. Why Christmas? I want you to think about that. We just had some, uh, some family time this weekend with our family. And we enjoy our family time, especially around Christmas, because we uh, give each other gifts, and we eat a lot of food, and we tell each other how much we love each other. And <clears throat> it's that one time of year where everyone's just supposed to relax and everything, but it can also be kind of stressful. Any of you guys ever been stressed out at Christmas? Does Christmas stress you out? The, the main thing for adults, when you get to be my age, it's like scheduling, you know what I mean? Like, well, today we can do this. No, we can't do that today because we gotta go do this today. Oh, well, I thought we were gonna do that the other day. No, we gotta do it today because we can't do it the other day because remember you said that we were gonna go on this day and today's that day. And so we have all of these different requirements and obligations schedule-wise. Adulting is difficult. Tan muy difícil, mija. So today, why Christmas? And we're gonna talk about all of what Christmas should be, and at the same time, just kind of addressing what it's become. So we'll start with a verse in Matthew chapter one. Should look familiar, because we talked about it when we, a couple weeks ago, discussed dreams. And it says this, Matthew 1, 20 and 21 in the ESV. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, verse 21, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So what do you think about this? We spend a lot of time thanking God for sweet little baby Jesus and how he was born and we sing songs and sometimes we dress up and put on robes and ring those bells and we go caroling and we all are just warm and fuzzy inside. Of course, we're like, baby Jesus is here. Who doesn't love babies, right? We went to visit some family members and a cousin of mine, he and his wife just had a baby. Everybody wanted to touch the baby, right? Like, oh, I want to touch the baby. But at the same time, I have a friend and her baby got sick and she's like, I don't let anybody touch my baby. I'm like, okay. So I didn't touch that baby because I didn't want to get the baby sick. Because, you know, we're like, we have our full immune systems and we're like, okay, I'm clean, but we're actually, hmm, actually carriers of germs. Like your cell phones are germy. Money, if any of you have coins or cash, super germy. Oh, she picks up our phones now. Like if she sees it, she won't even pay attention. She, she just grabs your phone and looks at it. Like so this. you clean your phone because yeah. baby Liv's going to grab all those germy germs and stick it in her mouth and go, ha. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just, ooh. no, that's not unrecognized, unrecognized. <laughs> so we're going to break down the gospel story here in seven simple steps so you can remember. Number one, God created the world. Yeah, it was just bang, it happened. We talked about it, and it's like, poof. Number two, Adam sinned and loses relationship with God. Adam just ghosted him. And God's like, Adam, where art thou? Hast thou left me on red, Adam? And Adam's like, uh, my bad. I didn't want to send any nudes, I guess, because Adam was naked and ashamed. So step three, Jesus comes. Now, uh, there's a few thousand years between step two and step three, okay? So Adam messed up, he loses relationship, and that needs to be fixed. So Jesus comes, step three, and he lives a perfect life. No pressure, right? 
Sometimes if you're a younger sibling and you have an older brother or sister, like, man, I have to live a perfect life because everyone judges me on my sibling. Imagine being Jesus's little brother or sister. Am I right? Why can't you be more like Jesus? Because he's perfect. Oh, that would be tough. So step four, Jesus dies and he pays the penalty for sin. So he lived the perfect life, which means he can pay the penalty for sin. I have this app on my phone that I'm super excited about because Star Wars is out now and I get movie tickets. So, I mean, I pay for them, I pay for them, but they just go straight to my phone. And so I just pick whichever movie I want to watch, one a month. And then I go up there and I'm just like, beep. I scan and I get in. Yeah, the, the Cinemark, whatever. So I redeem that scan for the movie ticket. So in order for us <clears throat> to go back, reverse step two, where Adam sinned and loses relationship, Jesus says, I'm going to pay for you to you know, scan your way into heaven, because we couldn't. We couldn't get in because of what Adam did. Step five, Jesus rises from the dead, conquering death. So now we don't even have to worry about dying. I heard this really interesting like podcast between these two guys who they're rappers, but they also talk about the Bible. And they brought this guy on who's a pacifist. If you know what a pacifist is, they're super peaceful people. Uh, not quite. They just don't believe in fighting people because they don't believe that's what Jesus would do. And so they were talking about the Bible and different stories and different things. And this guy says, if someone comes into my house, I'm going to shoot them. And then this guy presents this argument. He goes, but if you're a Christian, shouldn't you be ready to die? And I'm like, what? It was an interesting conversation. Like, I heard what he was saying. I heard what they were saying. I had to make up my mind. And it's like, ooh, hmm. Because there is a part in the Bible where Peter chops this dude's ear off. And Jesus says, put away your sword. Because if you live by your sword, you're going to die by your sword. And how he talks about being peaceful, turning the other cheek, loving your enemy. So there's a lot of things that we need to look for instead of like, well, you know, you press me and I'm going to knock you out. It's not exactly in the Bible. I mean, I'm sure you can find a scripture justified just about anything. But Jesus pays a penalty for our sin. He rises. He conquers death. We don't have to fear death anymore. Then he ascends, giving us... A mission. Jesus says, I'll be back, but until I do, tend my sheep, feed my lambs, go ye into all the world, preach the good news. Oh, Y-E-L-L. Yeah. Preach the good news. And then step seven is what we're waiting on. Jesus comes back, taking us to heaven. So whenever that movie comes out, we get to oop, scan in because Jesus paid for our sin. Very simple, very compressed, distilled view of about mm, seven to 8,000 years of human history. <laughs> You're welcome. But it all hinges on this. And this is a weird way for me to present the gospel to you. The good news is only the good news because of the bad news. I'll say it one more time because it's a little confusing. There is no good news without bad news first. See, if there's neither good nor bad, it's just news. Like the weather. People say, well, in other news today, the wind is blowing at five miles an hour. Is that good news or bad news? Well, neither. It's just news. 
then we hear most of what we watch on the news is actually bad news, like firemen responded to a fire, and police responded to gunshots, and there's an uh, illness breaking out in Chattanooga, or whatever. And we see all these different things, and people love to just, it's this sensationalism of violence and murder, and all these, like, oh my gosh, I wonder, is that woman going to jail for what she did, and oh, they found this body behind Walmart, oh my gosh. Bad news is good news, as they say, because it sells. People enjoy being like <gasps> thrilled or shocked by bad news. Now, there are limits. You can't show like dead bodies on TV or show certain words and different things. There are rules to protect us, the public. But if you don't have bad news first, then there's no good news. Now, here's what this means. When we tell other people about Jesus and they're like, wow, Jesus came, I'm so glad Jesus came. Why should we be glad that Jesus came? Because if sin isn't a problem, Christ doesn't need to die. This is an interesting, it's like the, the bedrock of our foundation of what we build on the whole church is this. People who say, I'm good, I'm a good person, I don't need grace. They don't understand what it is to celebrate Jesus coming. Because when we celebrate Jesus coming, it's because we've been waiting for Him. The Bible says in Romans that creation groans. It's waiting in anticipation for the sons of God to be revealed. Thousands upon thousands of years from when Adam messed everything up. See, God created a perfect world. He looked and said, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. He put a man, he put a woman together. He's like, that's good. And then Adam messed it up. And everyone says, well, Eve was the one to eat of the fruit. But the Bible says he was right there with her. She was his ride or die. They didn't even know what it meant to die. She was just his ride. And then she's like, hey, this tastes good that we're not supposed to eat. Why don't you have some? And he's like, oh, I want to really bad. And then he does. And he's like, oh, man, I've sinned. And that's that relationship that was different. Because when God goes looking for Adam, he says, Adam, where are you? Guys, God knows where Adam was. And Adam tells God something that we, we interpret differently. Adam tells God, I hid because I was afraid, because I was naked. Now here's the thing. Adam was always naked. God didn't invent clothes when he invented Adam. That came later. The difference was now he's afraid because he did something wrong. See, in the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, they were just running around being free as a bird, and they were unashamed. They had nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of, because they had that relationship with God. The problem then becomes when he sins, he doesn't ask for forgiveness, he tries to hide from God. And that, in a nutshell, is what happened for about two and a half thousand years while they're waiting for Jesus to show up, and well, it's actually, the timeline's a little gray, but between Adam and Christ, it's closer to six or 7,000 years. And so people are dying and dying and dying and dying, and they maybe live hundreds of years, and eventually their lifespan gets much shorter. But they, they die without this hope. They have hope that one day things are going to be made right, but they never see it. They never see it. They never, it's always the sweet by and by. Jesus is going to come. Like Pastor was talking about this morning, Isaiah prophesied Jesus coming 700 years before he showed up. Now, if you were alive during Isaiah's time, and you're like, yeah, right, like that'll ever happen, and then you die, and you don't see Jesus, you probably think Isaiah's a liar. 
But that's not true. He saw something coming that we hadn't even seen. Like all, for, it's been over 2,000 years since Jesus ascended, and he says, I'm coming back. And people are saying, today could be the day. Today could be the day. I love how a minister in San Antonio said it. It says, if the disciples thought that Jesus' coming was soon in history, he says, if the disciples thought we were living in the last lap of history, then you and I are staring down the checkered flag. You guys ever watch a car race? That's so cool because it's like, I think of Lightning McQueen. He's like, trying to win the race. So without bad news first, there's no good news. It's weird because we're not meant to bring the bad news. Right? Jesus doesn't say, go ye into all the world and preach the bad news. He says, preach the good news. What is the good news? Well, the good news is the opposite of the bad news. So you think about the bad news. The world is slowly dying. We're using all of the resources. The plastic is killing the turtles. And the nations are going to war. Is that the bad news? Not really. The bad news is every single person who is birthed on this earth will have to make a decision to accept Jesus or not. And if they choose not to accept Jesus, they don't get to live with Jesus forever. It's a very simple choice. It's a very scary choice because you think about how many billions of people have said no. A couple years ago, we went to camp and we said yes. And we're like, yeah, this is amazing. And God made us and this is what it's for. and We can spread the good news. But we have a responsibility not just to gather around and look at the cute little baby in the manger, but realize this is the Savior from all this bad news. And if we keep that to ourselves, then people don't get to hear the good news. That's why Jesus said, go ye into all the world, because he was going to heaven to ascend. And our job is to let others know that Jesus is the Savior who can save us all, who loves us all, who was born in a manger to die on a cross. And I read this really cool article, and it was called The Manger and the Cross, Unlikely Bookends. You guys know what bookends are? When you have like a stack of vertical books and you put something on each side to hold them up straight. Yeah, like libraries have them. I have some in my classroom. But bookends means this is where it starts, and this is where it stops, and that's what holds it up. Now, we know that Jesus lived forever before time and will live forever after time. But while he was here, walking around in a bodysuit, the manger was a structure designed to hold the food of common animals. The cross was a structure designed to hold common criminals. The manger received the Messiah wrapped in swaddling clothes, and the cross received the Messiah stripped of all his garments. The manger is where Jesus was flanked by his two parents. Have you guys seen that picture where it says, is this a manger? or two T-Rexes fighting for a, a table saw. And it's like the silhouette. I'll show you in a minute, it's hilarious. The cross, Jesus was flanked by two robbers. The manger is a sign to draw shepherds. They came and saw him in the manger. The cross is a place, a sign to draw all mankind. The manger was a place where common men came to worship. The cross was a place where rulers came to sneer, to make fun of. The manger, as Christ lay there, the darkest night was pierced by heavenly light. The cross, as Christ hung there, the sun was obscured by darkness. 
In the manger, shepherds returned from their glorifying, praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them, Luke 2.20. On the cross, the crowds who came together for this spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts in anguish. Luke 23, 48. The manger was in Bethlehem, which means house of bread. At Jesus' birth, there was declared peace on earth. On the cross in Jerusalem, which means city of peace, Jesus died during the feast of unleavened bread. And it's interesting because we love to celebrate Jesus and we get all these warm, fuzzy feelings. And I'm not trying to kill your vibe. Okay? I love Christmas music. I love Christmas smells. I love eating all the Christmas foods. Oh my goodness, I love eating the Christmas foods. But we can't leave Jesus in the manger. Jesus grows up. Jesus lives a perfect life. Jesus pays for us. And as we celebrate our Savior's birth, we cannot forget why He came. He came because we needed Him. He came to save us. Because if you only see Jesus as a baby, you'll never see Jesus as your Savior. A lot of people love Christmas time and they love to hear the Christmas story and the warm fuzzies and Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But if they don't choose to make Jesus their Savior, then they won't enjoy that communion, that fellowship. Same thing with Adam. Anytime we mess up, we have to confess up. And Adam, he just tried to dress up when he messed up. And God was like, boy, you need to fess up. Jesus is what puts us back into connection with God. You guys ever had an internet outage? Isn't that the worst? Or you're trying to download something or listen to something and signal drops on your phone. And you're just like, what happened to my connection? I can't enjoy all this wonderful stuff because my connection has been lost. Well, when Adam sinned, our connection to God was lost. Jesus came and he said, I can fix it. And old Fix-It Felix fixed it up. So what I'd like to do today is spend some time actually reading the Christmas story. I think it's a nice little tradition. We can read about Jesus coming, being born. And I believe this old school Bible that I have here in paperback form is New King James Version. No, it's NIV. So we're going to read, if you have your Bibles, power them on and flip on over to the book of Luke. Chapter 1 and verse 26. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. And if you don't have your Bible, you can just follow along. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. In verse 34, How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. 
The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now the rest of this chapter deals with the birth of John the Baptist and his parents. So we're going to flip on over to chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. Love me some Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth into Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there <clears throat> to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news today that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what shepherds said to them. Verse 19, But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And we'll pause there. And I want to really focus on, to answer this question, why Christmas? The angel said to Mary and to the shepherds, Peace on earth. Now this doesn't mean that nations were going to stop fighting each other. What this means is that our hearts, even good people, are at war with God. And we want what we want. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We always have this kind of rebellious streak. And from the time of Adam, the first generation on planet Earth, until the time of Jesus, we had to follow all these rules 
to stay right with God. We had to give sacrifices, and we had to follow these commandments, and we had to do offerings, and we had to confess our sins, and we had to do all these things and keep us clean, and all we would do was cover and cover and cover and cover and cover our sin like a boy who just got out of athletics and just sprays axe and axe and axe and axe. And so, yeah, you know, the fragrance, it improves, but there's no cleanliness. There's no cleansing. No, it does not. It's just a weird mixture. But then Jesus comes. Why Christmas? Because Jesus came to wash us white as snow. And the only way he was able to do that was to live as a perfect sacrificial lamb and die the death that we deserve so that we can live in eternity with him. Why Christmas? Because we couldn't get there on our own. And for our friends and our relatives or even people that we don't know that are out there in the world and they think, well, I can get to Christ or I can get to God through this, through meditation or through pilgrimages or through praying to these thousands upon thousands of Eastern gods or living a good life or giving money to charity or, or not doing anything relatively bad or becoming one with the universe. In John 14 and verse 6, Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but by me. That's it. And it's a very controversial scripture in the way that People love to say that Jesus was a prophet, Jesus was a wise teacher, Jesus was a loving man. Some people try and throw weird stuff out there and say, well, Jesus was homosexual because he rolled around with these 12 guys. Like, well, no, there were like men and women followed Jesus. But what Jesus was was the only thing that could save us from ourselves. Because God created perfection, we messed it up. Jesus said, I can fix that. And that is why Christmas. And that's what the angel told Joseph in Matthew 1, 21. He said, you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So the next time we do something we're not supposed to, we mess up, we get mad, pop off at our coach or our siblings or our parents, or we think a thought we shouldn't have thought, or we see something, we're like, oh my gosh, I want to take a second look. <laughs> Jesus came not on December 21st, obviously, that's when we celebrate it, but He came to save us. And we have that hope, we have that redemption, but we also have the responsibility to go and tell others why Christmas. So I want to close today's message with a prayer, just for those who are here, for those who aren't here, and for those we anticipate to join our class, our fellowship, our family. Father God, we thank you for this holy time, this Christmas season, when we enjoy, we celebrate, we lift up the name of Jesus. And God, I pray that everyone in this room who heard this message would not just see a baby, a child, a symbol, but they would see a Savior, someone who would grow up to save us all from our sins, someone who would lay his life down for us, someone who gives us victory, who gives us victory over death, over sin, over fear, over illness, over poverty, over everything that the enemy tries to use to distract us, to destroy us. Jesus came to redeem us. And Father, we pray right now for those who belong here in this building, for those who belong in your kingdom, that the enemy is trying to deceive them, is trying to distract them, Father, we pray that even in this time that they would remember the reason for the season. We pray your Holy Spirit's conviction 
over our family members who haven't accepted Jesus as their Savior because we want for them the same liberty and freedom and hope that we have. God, we pray not just for our relatives, but even for our enemies, those who hate you, even your enemies. You told your Father, Jesus, while you were on the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. You accepted a man at the very last minute who was as guilty as sin. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Lord, we pray for those that even we don't think deserve your love, but you are merciful with them, just like you were merciful with us. We pray that we would meditate on these things just like Mary did in Luke 2.19. Keep them in our hearts as we celebrate the Christmas season and we know why you came for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.